crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello and welcome to Watch Jerusalem. I'm Brent Nachtigal and today I'm overlooking the southwestern wall of Jerusalem's Temple Mount. My purpose today for this special program is to bring you an exciting summary of Dr. Elotmazar's recently published book, Over the Crossroads of Time, Jerusalem's Temple Mount Monumental Staircases. Now, this book by Dr. Elotmazar of Hebrew University, it's brand new and it comes after the culmination of years of research of Dr. Mazar pouring over the notes of her grandfather, Professor Benjamin Mazar, who excavated down here in the 1960s and 70s. And it brings a brand new interpretation of one of Jerusalem's most iconic archaeological images, Robinson's Arch. Now this is named after the biblical scholar Edward Robinson, who observed it in 1838 for the first time. And only a few stones of this great stone arch landmark from 2,000 years ago remain. And they protrude from the southwestern corner of the Western Wall. Now, just after Robinson was here, somebody drew this, an artist drew the arch. And you could tell at that point that he was standing on ground, on ground level, which was just at the base of the arch. Now, th this is totally different now. Now ground level is 20 meters below. And this is due to those excavations by Benjamin Mazar that ran from 1968 to 1978. These were known as the Big Dig Temple Mount excavations. And they continued year round for a decade. And the very first seasons of that focused on this area around the bottom of Robinson's Arch. These were the largest excavations in Israel to date. And this was in land that had recently opened up just after the 1967 Six Day War. And what Professor Mazar discovered underneath the arch were the remains of massive cut stones laying on a street built during the first century uh, CE. Now these had fallen from the Western Wall during the 70 CE destruction of Jerusalem at the hands of the Romans. Just across that same street, Mazar's team of excavators, as well as Elat, that was just 13 at the time, she was there on the dig also for part of it, they found some stone doorways. Now these would have been entrances to shops that would have lined the street opposite the western wall. Now the shops were incorporated into the chambers of a massive 3.8 meter wide, 15 meter long stone pier, a foundation. The artifacts related to the pier revealed that it had been by, built by none other than King Herod the Great. Now with this pier, Professor Mazar had located the foundation for the other side of Robinson's arch. Further excavations by Mazar revealed that this pier was connected with a series of vaults, or basically long arches as well, that ran perpendicular to the direction of Robinson's Arch. And he determined that similar to Robinson's Arch, these vaults formed the foundation of an overhead walkway. And as these vaults were generally descending in height towards the south, they had discovered the remains of a staircase, they thought, that made this right angle turn as it came down towards the west from the Temple Mount and turned towards the south. And this is generally the, the understanding that stuck around for decades. There's a huge staircase that descended and then turned southward. However, Mazar's architect was never quite satisfied with this interpretation. And he wrote about this in the 70s and in the 90s, and he suspected that as well as a southern turn, there was also a northern turn following a model that we know as the Pompeian model. 
that is, is similar to a Pompey's amphitheater, which is dated to about 50 years before this Jerusalem staircase. Now, after Professor Mazar's death in 1995, his granddaughter, Eilat, took up the mantle and continued to prepare his work for final scientific publication. And five volumes of these Temple Mount excavations have been published already in Hebrew University's Kedem series. And as she was going through a lot of these 50-year-old field notes and field documentation, it forced Dr. Eilat Mazar to re-examine the arched structure, Robinson's Arch, and she was surprised by what she found. She said this, quote, As we learn, this structure, believed by Benjamin Mazar to be a monumental staircase with a 90-degree turn to the south, is actually a much more elaborate staircase. She writes that in her new book. And then she said this, quote, With four turns, not one suggested by Benjamin Mazar, this was a, mon a four-way monumental staircase unique among the structures of the classical world. Now, critical to this change in understanding, was the re-examination of, re of the gradated vaults that support the staircase and the realization that there were vaults not just going south, not just going north, but in actually four different directions, north, south, east, and west after this initial descent. She writes, the incomparable four-way monumental staircase so impressive, impressively demonstrates the vision and genius of King Herod who raised classical architecture to such spectacular heights. According to Dr. Mazar, the construction of this monumental staircase took place at the same time as the Temple Mount itself and was part of King Herod's master plan. According to Josephus, the first, first century historian, construction on the temple began in the 18th year of Herod's reign, 19 BCE, and continued all the way up until his death in 4 BCE. Now this timing fits very well with what we know about Herod. He's known as Jerusalem's greatest builder since King Solomon a thousand years earlier, but he didn't start building. For his first, cup, first decade or so, he was a brutal ruler who, who basically was knocking out all potential threats to his rule over Judea. And he was an Idumean Jew from the south. His father or great or grandfather was forcefully converted to Judaism. And for this reason, the Jews did not really accept him as their ruler. And Herod made short work or quick work of the rest of the Hasmonean dynasty who were the Jewish rulers from the past. Now for all of his madness and, and uh, brutality, he was a magnificent builder. His construction projects made Judea not just a far-flung territory on the border of the Roman Empire, but a legitimate artistic center. On the coast, he built the magnificent port city of Caesarea replete with hippodrome for chariot races and gladiatorial games. Then if you overlook, go down to the Dead Sea and you're overlooking the Dead Sea, he built his winter palace on Masada, showcasing elegant frescoes, having a full Roman bathhouse all the way on the top of that dry, desolate uh, promontory. And then here in Jerusalem, he dramatically refurbished the temple and the surrounding area as well. As Dr. Mazar proves in this book, the four-way staircase was the work of King Herod as well. It was during this time period that he started this work on the tremendous arch during this phase of construction and building. But as Dr. Mazar explains in her book and as she found out, although King Herod built the monumental staircase, the, the street associated with it and the plaza down there and those shops, they weren't functional for another 40 years. Based on numerous coins inside the structure, Dr. Mazar concluded this, quote, With the completion of the four-way monumental staircase, the spaces inside its vaults and surroundings were left undeveloped 
as a rocky area until the rule of Pontius Pilatus or Agrippa I from CE 60, 26 to 44. Now this is really interesting. And she has lots of evidence of coins of Agrippa I found underneath the plaza that connects to the staircase and the Herodian Street, Herodian Street next to it. So with this new evidence, it might be that in Jerusalem, when it comes to the early Roman period or what is known as the Herodian period, the two big builders of Jerusalem were related. Herod the Great and then his grandson, King Agrippa, who thought he was the greatest before he died in 44 CE. Now this means that the inhabitants of Jerusalem had only a generation or two to see the use of this grand structure before it succumbed to the destruction in 70 CE and then would commence its 2000 year old journey of discovery until we finally understand what it looked like with the publishing of this book. Now, again, it's called Over the Crossroads of Time, Jerusalem's Temple Mount Monumental Staircases. I'll leave, an, uh, leave a link in the show notes of today's program so that you can access a copy of this book if you so desire. I'd also like to tell you about just one of the extremely precious discoveries that Dr. Mazar reveals in her book. Inside one of the vaulted chambers within the four-way staircase was found an intriguing and especially tiny artifact, a golden ring with a seven-stem design sized to fit the very smallest of fingers. Although it was actually first uncovered 50 years ago in Professor Benjamin Mazar's Temple Mount excavations, it's only now being reported. Now, since it measures about a centimeter in diameter, Dr. Mazar believes that the ring could only fit the finger of a newborn. The ring bears a significant design. It's incised with what looks to be a plant with seven stems. It's likely though an artistic representation of one of Jerusalem's, one of the temple's most important furnishings, the menorah. According to Dr. Mazar, the resemblance to the seven-stemmed lampstand is absolutely unmistakable. She notes in her book that it's similar to several other depictions found at a third century burial site, CE that is, a uh, complex found in, in, in Beth Shirim that was excavated by her grandfather. Now the seven-stem lampstand has been a symbol of the Jews and all, of all Israel really for, for millennia. It's been used since the days of Moses when God commanded the tribes of Israel to make an ornamental candlestick of pure gold with seven lamps to be placed inside his mobile sanctuary in the wilderness. This lamp then also appeared centuries later as one of the most important uh, artifacts inside the temple of Solomon. When the Babylonian army came and destroyed that temple and destroyed Jerusalem, it was confiscated with all the temple vessels and sent to Babylon. Seventy years later, the Bible relates that under Zerubbabel's rule, some of the children of, of, of Israel, Judah specifically, returned to Jerusalem with the vessels of the house of the Lord, and perhaps the menorah was among them. Centuries later, this seven-lamped candlestick was still a distinct symbol of the Jews and their religion as well. This unique symbol began appearing on coins in the first century BCE. We know that we can see it being used all the way through in the diaspora from the late Roman times all the way through Byzantine, the Byzantine period as well. So for hundreds of years, this, the, the menorah appeared in sculpture, fine metal paintings, engravings, medallions, as well as in architecture, ossuaries, sundials, on some bottles and bowls, gems, and also on some seals. And Josephus records that when the Roman soldiers destroyed Jerusalem in 70, uh, 70 CE, they actually took the temple menorah uh, to Rome 
And this very scene is among those inscribed by the Emperor Domination on the Arch of Titus in Rome to this day. And it also seems that the menorah was inscribed on rings. And here it is on the smallest of rings for a baby right here discovered at the foot of the Western Wall in Jerusalem. As Dr. Mazar says in her book, quote, Little to no doubt is left regarding the design appearing on the gold ring as representing the seven-branched menorah. The abstract fashion of this design is even more significant since the actual seven-branch menorah stood in the temple at a distance of only about 200 meters. Just 200 meters away from where this was found, this little baby ring inside the excavations of Benjamin Azar now being revealed to the public for the very first time, stood the real menorah. And here we have a very beautiful artistic representation of it discovered from 2000 years ago. Finally, I'd like to conclude the podcast by showing a portion of a video related to the excavation of the Temple Mount area here to the south. We at Watch Jerusalem have a long history of excavating in Jerusalem that goes back over 52 years now. And this started under Herbert W. Armstrong, the very founder of our work. And Mr. Armstrong directly contributed hundreds of students from Ambassador College in Pasadena, California, and also Big Sandy, Texas, and one in Bricketwood, the United Kingdom, to these excavations coming every summer. And he did this, as well as giving massive financial contributions to the excavations themselves. And Mr. Armstrong's contribution was so vast that before he died, Professor Benjamin Mazar stated that the name of Herbert W. Armstrong would always be attached to this most important undertaking carried out in Jerusalem. And so it's fitting that at the announcement of Dr. Mazar's new book, we would also like to look back at our own 50-year partnership with the Mazars and archaeology here in Jerusalem. Enjoy. Jerusalem, 1968. Israel has just won control of East Jerusalem and the Old City. And now, the nation is digging. Beside the Temple Mount, laborers are unearthing walls and uncovering artifacts in one of the largest archaeological excavations in the history of Jerusalem. Leading the team is former Hebrew University president Benjamin Mazar. Over the next decade, Professor Mazar would uncover eight acres of Jerusalem's past. And over the next 50 years, Professor Mazar and his granddaughter Alot would uncover some of Jerusalem's most important history. Benjamin Mazar died in 1995, but his archaeological legacy continued. Today, two of Israel's most successful and acclaimed archaeologists are in Professor Mazar's family. Their findings, some of which are nearly 3,000 years old, connect Jerusalem today with some of the Bible's greatest kings and prophets. The Armstrong International Cultural Foundation in Edmond, Oklahoma, has a special connection to Dr. Alot Mazar and to her grandfather. This connection goes all the way back to 1968 and to Herbert Armstrong. 
Herbert W. Armstrong was the pastor general of the Worldwide Church of God. He founded the popular World Tomorrow radio and television program, as well as the Plain Truth news magazine. Mr. Armstrong also founded Ambassador College and the Ambassador International Cultural Foundation. Mr. Armstrong loved Jerusalem and recognized the importance of its history to Israel and to humanity. In 1968, news of Professor Mazar's Temple Mount project reached Mr. Armstrong. He was immediately interested in the project, and before the year was out, Professor Mazar and Mr. Armstrong were friends. Professor Mazar and Hebrew University representatives formed a 50-50 joint partnership with Ambassador College. Meeting at the Presidential Palace to make the partnership official, Mr. Armstrong and Israeli President Zalman Shazar sealed the agreement on December 1, 1968. Not with a contract, but with a handshake. When Mr. Armstrong and Professor Mazar later met with Israeli leaders in the Knesset to discuss the project, Tourism Minister Moshe Kol called Ambassador College's partnership with Israel an iron bridge that can never be broken. Ambassador College immediately provided funding for Mazar's Temple Mount excavations, and over the years, hundreds of Ambassador students participated in the Big Dig. Meanwhile, Mr. Armstrong grew close to Israel's leaders, including Golda Meir, Yitzhak Rabin, Menachem Begin, and Shimon Peres. He developed an especially close relationship with Teddy Kolek, the longtime mayor of Jerusalem, and could often be seen strolling arm in arm through Jerusalem with either Mayor Kolek or with Professor Mazar. When Herbert Armstrong died in 1986, Professor Mazar praised Mr. Armstrong's deep devotion to the ideals of peace and justice in the spirit of the biblical prophets, and said that the name Herbert Armstrong would always be attached to this most important undertaking carried out in Jerusalem. Mr. Armstrong's successors rejected his teachings and legacy and ended the church's philanthropic efforts in Israel. In 1989, Gerald Flurry left the Worldwide Church of God and established the Philadelphia Church of God. In 1996, he established Armstrong International Cultural Foundation, and in 2001, he established Herbert W. Armstrong College. In 2005, thanks to generous donations from Roger and Susan Hertog, Dr. Alot Mazar returned to dig in the city of David. Her objective was simple. She wanted to uncover the palace of King David himself. Success came quickly. Dr. Mazar and her team uncovered a structure that, based on its thickness and construction, in relationship to the stepped stone retaining wall structure below and other artifacts found at the site, was safely dated to around 1000 BC, the time of King David. In America, Gerald Flurry learned about Dr. Mazar's work and sought to rekindle the relationship and provide support. Dr. Mazar accepted Mr. Flurry's offer and in 2006, after a 20 years hiatus, the ambassadors were back. Since 2006, Herbert W. Armstrong College has participated in all of Dr. Mazar's excavations. 
In 2007, Armstrong College was there when Dr. Mazar excavated a tower that was thought to be Hasmonean, but was actually part of the fortification built by the biblical figure Nehemiah. In 2008, Dr. Mazar, with help from Armstrong College volunteers, uncovered a clay seal belonging to a high-ranking official the Bible says persecuted the prophet Jeremiah. That year, they also discovered a 150-foot-long water tunnel that may have been the conduit King David's forces used in his initial conquest of the city. In 2009, the Mazar Armstrong team, thanks to generous donations from Daniel Mintz and Meredith Berkman, returned to the affair. During this phase, Dr. Mazar dated a large wall that was part of a royal complex built by King Solomon. This excavation also uncovered the bullae of King Hezekiah and Isaiah. In 2012 and 2013, the Mazar-Armstrong team continued to excavate King Solomon's royal complex on the Afel down to the First Temple period. From January 2012 to October 2015, Armstrong International Cultural Foundation was the first to exhibit the bullae of Jehuqal and Gedaliah, two Judean princes named in Jeremiah 38. In December 2015, Dr. Mazar announced that she had identified the original owner of another bullae, King Hezekiah. This was the first clay seal impression of a Judean king to ever surface in a documented excavation. In February 2018, Dr. Mazar announced another find that was uncovered during the same excavation, just a few yards from the Hezekiah seal. The partially damaged seal belonged to a man named Isaiah, and quite possibly Isaiah the prophet. In January 2018, the Mazar-Armstrong team began another excavation on the Afel, this one funded entirely by the Armstrong International Cultural Foundation. Since 2005, Dr. Alot Mazar has uncovered some truly sensational finds. Like her grandfather before her, Alot Mazar today continues to resurrect Jerusalem's oldest, most important history. She has unearthed evidence proving that the Jews' ancient connection to this city is not a tradition or a myth, but a provable reality. The Armstrong International Cultural Foundation carries on the legacy of Herbert W. Armstrong. Today, we are honored to celebrate 50 years of collaboration with the Mazar family in the most important city in the world, Jerusalem. Jerusalem.